0: Welcome to Noble Warrior. This is a place where entrepreneurs talk about what it takes to build purpose-driven organization, also a purpose-driven life. We're going to talk about mindset, mental models, actionable tactics, such that you can go out and build your purpose-driven life as well. My name is C.K. Lin, biomedical engineering PhD, UCLA, turn technology executive, turn. Uh, executive coach specifically for founders and entrepreneurs focus on mindset and culture. I'm really excited. My next guest is a best-selling author of The Empowerment Paradox: 7 Vital Virtues to Turn Struggle into Strength, and he's a sought, highly sought-after speaker and consultant for individual and corporate transformation. And uh, he's a former company president of a global health and wellness company. He's here to share with us that there's purpose in suffering and we can transform for the better when we know how to confront it and respond. Please welcome Ben Woodward. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here with you today, CK. Thank you so much for being here, my friend. So I wanna ask you a quick question. You probably get this a lot and
1: we'll start with something light, seven kids. That's a lot of kids. And one on the way. We're suckers for punishment. Yeah, right, right now, we've got seven boys and one girl, and we're going to have another girl in the wow. new year. So, yeah.
0: Amazing. Not to get cliche, but is there a intention behind having as many kids as possible? Having seven kids with one on the way, what knowing what you know now, what would you say to someone like me who don't have any kids or who mm-hmm. are looking to have a family
1: in anyway? yeah. I, I think it's important to appreciate, you know, definition of family. You've got to respect each person's interpretation of what their family looks like and what they want to achieve in their family. My wife and I were fortunate enough to be able to have children and we've loved the experience and, and I, for, for me and especially for my wife, Kim, I, I, I felt like I became a dad about a few months into being one. Yeah. And whereas Kim, as soon as she was pregnant, she became a mother. And, and that transformation for her was quite remarkable. And, and it really has become a defining role for both of us. And I, I love being a dad and she loves being a mum uh, more than we love probably anything else. And, and I, I wouldn't be able to have as many kids if I didn't have the wife that I have, she, yeah, if, if it was down to me and my skill set. Uh, maybe we'd have a few less but um but i've got such confidence and reassurance uh knowing that she's the mom that that makes all the difference
0: god bless all the mothers in the world with, uh. without them <laughs> so i'm actually curious because in my mind obviously not having any kids i would and, how do I articulate this parenthood mm. and entrepreneurship and being in relationship with another human being in a lifelong yeah. long commitment. To me, these are all different paths yeah. of transformation. Yeah. So in my mind, I'm hesitant to take on the parenting role mm-hmm. yet, because I don't know, I have no idea what that's like. And to yeah. me, this is not something that when you get a kid, you're like, oh, I don't like it. Let me return it to the store. <laughs> and that's not how it works. So yeah. a curious note, your thought about being an entrepreneur for many years, and being in, in life partnership for many years and now being a parent for many years what would you say to that statement that these are a path of transformation
1: they're not isolated paths that they, they all feed each other and they all interrelate the task is not to choose one over the other and unfortunately mm-hmm. many people do that yeah they say i'm going to pursue my career path so i won't have children or i'm going to pursue running my own business, so I'm not getting into relationships right now. The reality is learning to balance both and govern yourself that way so that you can manage your priorities appropriately actually feeds and informs both or all of them so much better than if you were just to be single-minded down one track because it makes you a better person. I'm a better father, for example, because of the career that I've had. The chance that is given me to travel to 30 countries around the world and be exposed to different cultures uh, and different types of people and different experiences and different communities has opened my eyes up and given my children opportunities that they wouldn't have had if I hadn't have had that career. Mm. And at the same time, being a father of seven has informed me as a leader. Yeah. And I've had so many lessons that I've drawn on there. It still makes you laugh, doesn't it? (laughs) But being a father of seven has informed my abilities as a leader because there's been so much that I've learned in that space. And likewise, juggling all of that with a relationship that you have front and center is critical. So I I think it's a little bit like a horse race. Rather than saying they're in individual sequences and it's one or the other or this first and then that. You know, when I got married, uh, my wife was still at university. And she was pregnant. We, we were going to put having children off uh, a little bit and just settle into marriage and we got married and changed our minds very quickly. And two months in, she was pregnant so that she gave birth to our first, a month before our first wedding anniversary. Mm. So uh, we've been every couple of years since then <laughs> having children. She's been pregnant and breastfeeding about 50% of our married life. So <laughs> it's, uh, it's remarkable. Oh my gosh. But, but she was at university and pregnant mm-hmm. at the same time. And my career was changing and progressing and moving forwards whilst I was still having children and the family organization was growing. It's I, I, I believe it's a little bit like a horse race like I said, rather than being in silos, where every now and then one horse gets out in front and you've got to bring another one up to speed. Yeah, maybe I'm getting too preoccupied with work and I need to give more attention to my wife and children. Or maybe I I need to give more attention to my career right now and I need to make that adjustment. So it's just constantly being mindful and learning to, to balance.
0: Yeah. So what I'm hearing you, what you say is this is not compartmentalized. Life is superposition on one of each. You know, you have relationships, you have other responsibilities, you're a parent all at the same time, rather than I just have this in silo and in, in compartments. And then I just have this, let me focus on this and uh, this aspect. That's what you're saying. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. Because compartmentalizing is really making everything about me. Mm. Isn't it? Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to,
0: I'm,
1: I'm going to, not focus on a relationship because I'm focusing on me.
0: Mm.
1: Now, personal development is essential, Mm -hmm. um, but the purpose of my life should never be about me. If if that's the case, I'm shortchanging myself. And if I establish habits and patterns of thinking that are me-centric, when it comes to getting into a relationship, I'm going to be me-centric. How's that going to serve the relationship? Mm -hmm. How am I going to respond to being a father or a mother if I've become too me centric?
0: So let me ask you a quick question because the younger Ben, there is probably some mindset shift Mm -hmm. from younger to where you are today. So what would you say to the younger Ben who may have been more individualistic, more self-driven self-centered and who said, no, I'm just going to focus on me. I'm going to focus on my career or academic, or whatever, such that I don't want to worry about other relationships. What would you say to the younger version who is more individualistic, who don't believe what you just said? What would you say Mm. to that
1: person? I, I would say the fruits of getting the balance right far outweigh being individualistic. It's exciting to have a career, it's exciting to have ambition, it's exciting to have all of that drive. Mm -hmm. Um, but the greatest fruits in life come from the relationships that we enjoy. And the best version of myself is not found by me only looking inward at myself. Mm -hmm. As I I learn to sacrifice myself and recognize that my life is not about me, as I learn to recognize that my own struggles are not about me, that maybe within all of that, there's benefit for other people. Mm -hmm. And that certainly comes out as a parent and as a husband for example then when i put that front and center life is so much more rewarding so much mm-hmm. more enriching and i can say that now at the age of 45 mm. with seven children with 20 years of marriage under my belt wow um, that that the best experiences in life come from prioritizing the most valuable relationships that you have mm. uh, everything else because reality is Here's the deal. Oh, yeah, I worked in a billion-dollar company a few years ago, a multi, multi-billion-dollar company. Mm-hmm. And I had a colleague that had worked his backside off for that company and given blood, sweat, and tears. He was on the road traveling. He was a road warrior like you wouldn't believe. If you cut him open, you know, he would bleed company blood. yeah. And, and he gave his life and soul for that business. And a restructuring took place because the organization was growing. And he was a senior-level executive and he was you could see yeah i'm up for getting one of these big spots here he was really excited about it and his his spouse also worked in the company senior executive she'd been there for 23 years did the same thing if you cut her open she'd bleed company blood really just devoted to to the company they did this restructure he's lined up for that corporate that big spot he didn't get it in fact he just got sidelined he just got he got given a different role that was almost like a demotion, mm. I tried to dress it up, but he mm. was essentially, he was pushed aside, devastated. He quits mm-hmm. you know, because, you know, you just threw my, you just slapped me in the face here in front of all my colleagues, his wife, how can she stay there when now the mm. loyalty is to her husband?
0: Mm. They would
1: have considered this in the restructuring. So what was her 23 years of service as a road warrior? Collateral damage. Mm. So what, what really matters most? who's going to be at your funeral, your funeral, when you die? Yeah, you know, Is your former boss going to be there? Maybe they might, maybe you've got those relationships, but a lot of the time, you know, you you, you know, put that in perspective. who's going to be at your funeral? Mm. Who's, going to, who's going to really be there and show up? Mm. and I, I just saw that and I thought, you know, we've got to be we, my career is my business. If I'm working for someone else. You know, my job is my career, my, my is my business, my brand. It's it's all, you know, no one's going to be more loyal to me than I am because when restructuring happens and change happens, uh, and we're seeing a lot of that in the world right now with everything that's going on with the pandemic, all that change is going on, who's going to be most loyal to you? You are, yeah, and your family. So I, I think get those relationships front and center because you will need them over everything else without mm. a doubt.
0: I appreciate that thank you and then echoing to my own personal journey as well in the younger days of my my life was more about the achievement right going after certain goals and titles and education whatever it may be whatever it is i'm going after then later on in my life and then just having gone through the peak of egoic expression to the trough of disillusionment that i realized okay this is painful whatever I'm chasing. These are great, but at the same time, those are illusions. For me, what makes my life rich is these deep relationship. Ultimately, yeah. when it comes down to it, it, relationships is what makes my life rich. It's the moments, precious moments, adding up that compound interest is what ultimately make my life rich. So I've actually shifted quite a lot from yeah. the pursuit of you know, those, you know, achievement, those still meaningful for me at the same time, really focused on the atomic unit uh, of moment right now, right here and now.
1: Yeah. And I'll I'll tell you another reason why that's important. I I was fortunate enough to retire from the corporate world at the age of 39. Mm. And as a family of nine, we had our mortgage paid off uh, pretty quick and all that kind of stuff and, and live in a financially independent Situation, so really grateful for that. It's it's been I've been very fortunate in that sense. And uh, here's the challenge: I thought I I had this milestone in my mind that I wanted to be able to retire financially at the age of forty. That would be a great achievement. And I got it, and it was uneventful. Paid the mortgage off, and I thought this is oh fantastic. Yeah. And the next day, nothing really changed. I got out of bed the same way that I did the day before. Mm-hmm, right? mm-hmm. and i thought oh, what's going on here and i had mm-hmm. this abundance of time because we all chase this don't we if, if i have mm-hmm. the time freedom and the financial independence oh now my life's my own mm-hmm. what, what are you going to do with it now right what, what, what are you working towards because what i found was all of my vulnerabilities and my personal inadequacies my character flaws that caused me individual pain you know and just maybe i make a bad choice because of a certain weakness or a mindset that i have that is incorrect uh, all of that stuff still exists mm-hmm. so the true happiness the true joy comes in mastering those moments and mastering self i, I think the purpose of life in a large measure is self-mastery mm-hmm. um, and and then flowing out into the way that we serve others but yeah. that's where purpose and meaning comes from and, and i learned that interestingly when i went when i go oh I'm retired. Fantastic. This is great. And actually, no, it wasn't.
0: You were you were quite fortunate to actually experience that, right? Cause, uh, mm. that's the American dream to get out of the quote unquote rat race, to be financially yeah. independent, financially free. And what's so beautiful that you actually learned that lesson at age 39 versus at 70, finally, when you get it or whatever it may be, and you're like, what the F, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. I, but I want to segue to this real quick, I want you to actually talk about your book a little bit. So the title of your book is The Empowerment Paradox. So why did you call it a paradox?
1: Because what I've noticed is there's a lot of self-help gurus out there that will encourage people with a false sense of hope. Mm. And, And it frustrates the heck out of me because they peddle this false hope of saying, okay, let's Create this vision boarding kind of experience let's look five years ten years into the future what does your ideal future look like Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right and and people will create this emotional homeostasis where everything is just right yeah i've got the work-life balance is great my health is in tip-top shape my relationships are perfect my finances are in order and and they remove friction Mm
0: -hmm. from the
1: experience Mm -hmm. yeah And that's what they make their future aspirations to become. Mm. And, And that's unfortunately based on a falsehood. We cannot achieve emotional homeostasis. We need the friction. And so the paradox is that there is a duality of joy and suffering. They are two sides of a single reality. They coexist. They work together. They feed each other. And we need both in order for us to become the best version of ourselves.
0: I love that. It's very, so by the way, you don't know this, but uh noble warrior is very much of a, we talk about the yin yang sign quite a lot. Mm -hmm. Okay, Chinese, I'm a martial artist. I have a um, biomedical engineering background as well. So we talk about the duality at the same time, also the integration of a duality. Homeostasis, the way that I I use it's not all right, everything's perfect, freeze, nobody move. Dynamic homeostasis, things are yeah. moving. It's like juggling, right? You don't stop when yeah. everything is in the air. It, it, you continue to keep going. As you also mentioned, alluding back earlier, that it's not just about focusing on a specific silo of a relationship, rather it's focus on everything such yeah. that everything's in dynamic homeostasis. That's what yeah. you mean, right?
1: Exactly. That dynamism is essential. And, and it, it applies to the second law of thermodynamics, isn't it? That entropy exists, mm-hmm. I, I think, in everything. We look at it from a, a principle of matter, but it certainly applies. You know, the second law of thermodynamics being that everything moves from a state of order to a state of disorder over time, Yeah, unless we apply energy to the system and reverse the effect of that entropy. Yeah, so we see in life, for example, in nature, the wind blows and creates sand dunes. It doesn't create sand castles, mm. right? <laughs> and, and, and so we, we see that it just goes to a state of disorder. Uh, but the same thing applies to our relationships as well, or to our businesses, or to our minds. Yeah, That if we don't apply energy to the system of our mind, or to our heart, or to our relationship, or to our business, that it will move from a state of order to a state of chaos. And and so we need to make sure that there is constantly that engagement with what we're working on in order for it to move forward and be progressive. And that Mm -hmm. requires effort, friction, and sometimes a little bit of burn.
0: Yeah, that's part of being human. In in my mind, the beauty of being human having a human experience is that we do go through the highest of high and the lowest of lows. And in the going up and down, we learn what it means to be human, what it means, what are our truths and what are our core values. And also what is my wisdom that I wish to pass on to my kids and so forth. In my mind, without trial and tribulation suffering, at best, we can get theoretical understanding of something rather than truly in an embody integrated understanding of what we stand for. What would you say to that?
1: hundred percent. I, I love the phrase that you used of theoretical at best. Yeah. So th- there's two points that I want to address here. There's there's the theoretical at best. and And then there is the, the willingness to embrace the ups and downs. Yes the ups and downs are a part of the human experience. We all like the ups. Most of us don't like the downs. The challenge that we've got, that I've experienced and and write about in the book is, what happens if the down becomes longer than you want or deeper than you want, or perhaps deeper than you think you can handle? And and that's the challenge is, okay, I, I love this journey of life. It has its ups and downs, its peaks and valleys. Uh, but what happens if the adversity that I get is beyond what I think I can bear? It's it's beyond my capacity. What do I do with that? And how can I turn around and say that I want this or that? Hey, it's a part of life. I don't want it at all. Yeah, you know, yeah. You know, for example, yeah, you know, my friend fell down some stairs and broke his back. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And okay, he, he had an operation that fused his spine together but that did more damage than good. Mm. And now he experiences pain every Mm. day of his life. Mm. And yet he says that was the second best thing that ever happened to me. Oh, interesting.
0: Okay.
1: the, The first thing being meeting and marrying his wife, which is great. Yeah. But the next best thing after that, breaking his back. Yeah. Now he wouldn't have said that in the first month or so of that experience. That comes from a long seasoned veteran of dealing with that chronic pain Mm. uh, that he can get the experience, not the theory. The theory goes, yeah, if we follow this process and this model, it'll work. But in reality, the experience with suffering is a far greater tutor than any book can give.
0: Mm. I love that. Maybe not a, a great segue to the book that you're writing though. So as thought leaders, as broadcasters of truth or our mm-hmm. own subjective truth. Shall we say mm-hmm. we, uh, share from my perspective and you can share with what, what yours is. My role is, Hey, if I can share my story in such a way that the younger CK who is listening to this may say, there may be something here and let me try out some of the tactical things or the frameworks that CK has shared. I could not necessarily un- I can get unstuck out of the, the trough of disillusionment or, or, the, or the lowest of lows, you know, type of experience a little bit earlier or, or not suffer unnecessarily. Yeah. So that's why I'm doing podcasts like this and not to mention, I, I also personally enjoy it as well. So yeah. my, my question to you is they needed to go through the suffering, the trial and tribulation as a way to earn their wisdom. What do you hope to achieve in sharing your story uh, and your wisdom as an author?
1: It's simple, to give people hope. Mm. Yeah, because I'll I'll give you a couple of experiences as an example. And I know the focus here is for entrepreneurs and and people that are getting started in their careers and and what have you. Trust me when I say this relates. When I was, I I grew up in New Zealand, I was born in the UK, grew up in New Zealand. And when I was 22 years old, I decided fairly on a whim that I was going to return to the UK and visit my father, who I hadn't seen since I was 14 years old. And I had, because it was a whim, I had enough for a one-way ticket and I had 50 pounds in my pocket. That was it. And I thought, this is great because I'm going to move in with my dad and things will work out fine from there. So not a problem. I can get a job and I can earn money to come back. That was the plan. So, I go there, have my overseas experience, get reacquainted with my family that I haven't seen in a very long time, come back. I fly over, like I said, one way ticket, 50 pounds in my pocket. I move in with my father. And a few weeks into being there, I discover that he's an unconvicted sex offender. What do you do with that? Where do you go? You know, that was an overwhelming, painful process because one, let's build in some emotion to that experience because when you haven't, when a kid hasn't seen his dad from the age of 14 through to 22, there is a lot of anticipation and excitement and overwhelming enthusiasm for that moment where you can see your dad again. That's been built up for years of just expectancy. Yeah, And then to have all of that expectation just implode in a moment. And then what do you do with that? Do you just leave it be? Do you say nothing? My obligation in that situation was to do what was right versus what was easy would be, I, I don't want to deal with this. Put my head in the sand. Yeah. Look the other way. You can't do that. So I stood by the side of his victims and facilitated his arrest he went to court I testified against him in court and I drove him to the courthouse to go to prison and he went to prison he he, he got seven years in jail that's a long time he, he didn't he came out with good behavior and what have you but that was an ordeal and it stretched out talk about chronic suffering you know for the kid things like that don't happen in a moment they don't get arrested go to court the next month, and then go to jail the following day. You know, that dragged on. The investigation, before he even got in, in, arrested, dragged on. Yeah, you know, And then the time between arrest and going to court dragged on. And on top of that, imagine this. We're, my brother and I are sat in the courthouse. We've just been given a tour of the courtroom and explained by a court official how things are going to happen for us. And we've just got this dread and this pit in our stomach that is just unrelatable and we're sitting there just with the heaviest of hearts you know with this conflict because you got two conflicting emotions you've got overwhelming unconditional love for a, a a parent combined with overwhelming offense and shock and horror at their behavior and it's all crashing into each other you know and coexisting into this messy one singular space And to try to figure that out was a journey, not an event. And we're there waiting for the court case to begin. And a court official comes out and says, we have to postpone. Mr. Mr. Woodward had a heart attack last night
0: Mm.
1: and and he's in hospital. Mm. The stress of the ordeal put him in hospital. And so here am I now as a son going, yeah, have I done this to him? Mm. is this because of me yeah there's so much to deal with there and the challenge with this as well was on so you got that emotion there but along with that you also have i have his name i look in the mirror and i can see a little bit of him and me
0: mm.
1: some of his character traits i have some of his nuances that even though i didn't grow up with him I, I have and in, in the way that I express myself and my mannerisms and, and my tastes and preferences. And, and then you, and you've got all of this feeding into your identity and how do I define who I am in light of all of this? It was a long and enduring trial that was very painful that got right to the core of my own identity. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, now, now, why do I share this? Because you, know, you say, what would you say to your younger self? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think of my younger self in that situation. Yeah, you know, I was in my early twenties going through that. Uh, I wasn't married at that point. When he went to jail, he was in jail when I got married. In jail when my first and second kid came along. Yeah, what would I say to that guy? Yeah, you know, when I'm going through that type of stuff, that first of all, you did the right thing. That doing what is right versus what is easy is always the best choice. And it will always serve you well. And it will serve you well down the road. I didn't do that to be punitive to my father, by the way. I did it as an expression of love. I wanted to do what was right for his victims. I also wanted him to put his life in order. And I imagined if I was in his shoes, I wouldn't have the courage to take the first step. So, so- quick question.
0: Quick question there. First, let me just re- just be The first to say that, thank you for sharing so generously and then courageously your story of the inner struggle of Mm. identity of identities Mm. going through this ordeal, this circumstances. So really appreciate that. I want to dive deeper into that in in a bit, but you didn't have that context from day one, from the moment when it happened, right? It's chaotic, internal chaos. And then you need to sort it out is a journey to even get to that place of clarity. Can yeah. you share with us a little bit of how you did that? And I wanted to use what you share as a teaching moment to the people who are going through crises, who are going through overwhelm or anxiousness or anxiety or whatever circumstances that they're going through. Because mm. when the, those things are happening, it's chaotic and then and finding clarity in Chaos is challenging, so share with us a little bit about how you get from internal chaos to that level of clarity.
1: That comes to the second half of the title of the book, which is seven vital virtues to turn struggle into strength. Mm -hmm. There are certain virtues that we need to practice that help us in that journey. One of the ones that I struggled with the most in that process was patience, yeah? Because I wanted it all to be over fast. And I wanted just to be out of the situation as quickly as I could. I wasn't even concerned at that point with learning any particular lesson yeah, or seeing any particular value in the adversity. It's it's great to, using your words from earlier, to, to theoretically put this language around adversity and say, yes, it's the human experience to have the dark spaces and the, the opposition and what have you, and we need to embrace it. But when you're in it, you necessarily want to say, "I'm going to assign value to this, look for the good in it, and where's the lesson?" I just want it out. Yeah, and and so one of one of the first points was really learning to be patient with it. My wife and I have a saying in our bedroom, on our bookshelf, that says, "No one knows how strong they are until being strong is the only choice they have." Yeah. And in that moment, I was in that place because I, I went to the UK, had that experience. I went to catch up with my father. All of the family that I'd grown up with were on the other side of the world. My support system was not around me. So I was actually going through that process quite alone. Yeah. And yeah, you know, what, what did I need in order to mm. get order out of chaos? First, I had to be patient and see it as a process. The challenge is... What happens if you don't have any? What's the starting point? It's so easy from the outside to turn to someone in that moment, say to the younger self, and and this is the mistake, when because I love this question that you ask, what would you say to your younger self? I wouldn't say, just be patient. Mm -hmm. Now that sounds, again, paradoxical, because here I am saying you got to have patience. Mm
0: -hmm. Because
1: telling someone to have patience when they don't for a start, is really annoying, (laughs) right? 100% agree, yes. Yeah, just be patient. You'll get through. This too shall pass. If I had patience,
0: I would have been patient already. (laughs) Exactly. I I don't have patience, and you're telling me to have patience. Yeah,
1: it makes you just want to punch them in the head. That's right. Don't don't tell me that. So the, the critical thing is, how do I develop patience? How do I acquire that when I don't have it? And research has shown that when we can engage our imagination, with a circumstance or situation that we're involved in, that imagination enables us to increase and grow our capacity to be patient far more than simply white knuckling it or trying to just grin and bear it through willpa- sheer willpower alone. Can you say that
0: again? I lost, I missed that one more time. Yeah.
1: So, our capacity to engage our imagination with a particular trial or difficult set of circumstances increases our ability to be patient far more than simply white-knuckling it or using our sheer willpower to just grin and bear it and get through it. So the question is then, how do I develop my or engage my imagination in order to increase my capacity to be patient? And, And the process around that is to have a vision of the end in mind. What does the end look like? And when you're wallowing in self-pity, when you're you know, just struggling with your sense of self and identity, when you're overwhelmed with the overwhelm of the adversity that you're going through, then being able to take a step back for a small moment and just project yourself into a future state where this is ended and, and look at what that is defined like, how that, how that looks and feels. Can be very transformative. Have, have you heard of the Stockdale paradox? The, the Stockdale paradox.
0: I don't know what that word is.
1: Okay. Okay. So the Stockdale paradox, Admiral Jim Stockdale was the highest ranking military official that mm. was captured during the Vietnam War. Okay. And he caught the world's attention for two reasons. Uh, one, he was the highest ranking military official to be captured. He was an admiral. But two, when he came out of that prisoner of war camp, he was imprisoned, I think, for about eight years. When he came out of that prisoner of war camp, he came out a stronger and better person. Mm. <laughs> How does that work? While he was imprisoned, you know, he, he, he saw his friends and colleagues die around about him. He was tortured at least 20 times. And he had no date. You know, be, being a prisoner of war is different to being a regular prisoner. Yeah. being a regular prisoner you've got a deadline i know on this date i've got a release yeah and i can see my family they can come and visit me or have you you're not going to get a visit from your family and you've got no release date and we may beat the heck out of you today if we choose
0: yeah there's that factor of randomness of you yeah know, i may beat you whenever i want to
1: yeah the randomness and the no end mm-hmm. of, of the whole experience turns mm-hmm. it into a very different scenario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he was being interviewed once, and the person said to him, of all the people that you saw die in the camp, who, who were the first to go? And he said, if we break it down into three groups, the pessimist, the optimist, the realist,
0: mm-hmm.
1: who were the first to die? Because it wasn't from malnourishment. Mm. Yeah, it wasn't because they weren't being fed. They were. So they were dying for other reasons. Who were the first to, grow, to, to, to die? Now, I've asked this question to audiences now in about 20 or so different countries. Mm. To, to audiences of entrepreneurs, who do you think would be the first to die? The oh, optimist, man. the realist, or the pessimist? Who do uh, you reckon? Probably the pessimist. It was the optimist.
0: Huh, interesting. Okay.
1: It was the optimist. Now, y- your answer is the common answer. Of the entrepreneur, right? Mm. The entrepreneur goes, Well, the pessimist is going to be the first to die. I've got the right attitude. Actually, the optimist was the first to go. And this mm. is what would happen they'd go, well, oh, don't worry about it, guys. We'll be out for Christmas.
0: Mm.
1: And then Christmas would come and go. They wouldn't get out. Or don't worry about it. Valentine's Day's coming. We'll be out for then. Uh, Thanksgiving, Easter, whatever it might be, we'll be out for this day. And it would come and go. And they wouldn't get out. And, and they eventually died of a broken spirit. Mm. It just destroyed them. Mm. And so the interviewer said to him, what was your approach? What made it work for you? And this is the Stockdale Paradox. They named it after him. He said, first of all, I had to accept the brutal facts of my present reality. And for him, that was, I'm a prisoner of war. I don't know where I'm getting out. I may get tortured at some point today. There's some brutal facts. I don't know about you or about anyone that's listening right now, but I'm pretty sure our brutal facts may not be as brutal as that.
0: Probably yeah. not. Probably. Yeah.
1: Not. We can have some tough ones, and I, I don't want to, to belittle them. But first of all, if you really want to win, accept the brutal facts of your present reality. He said, and then I, he said, you also have to have confidence in the end of your story. Accept the brutal facts, but have confidence in the end of your story. And he said, and for me, the end of my story was, and this was his vision. Yeah, this was the engagement of his imagination to see him through the process and enable him to be patient with his suffering. For me, that was that not only would I get out, but that I would turn this experience into the defining experience of my life. Mm. In retrospect, I would not trade. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to trade this for anything. It's going to define who I become.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Now that to me is a vision for the future. That means, okay, I need to get through this moment, but I'm going to make this moment count because when I get out of this situation, I'm going to become a new creature. Mm -hmm. And it's going to give me something that I wouldn't trade for anything.
0: Mm. I love that. Thank you for that. There's a lot of different ways I can follow that, that distinction. One uh, I want to allude to is the idea of being equanimous. So in Buddhism, they say that life is suffering. Yeah. And, but unpacking suffering is pain is inevitable, but suffering is optional. How do you actually um, stay outside of suffering or minimize suffering is by distinguish reality for what it is. And then experience whatever reality that you have, the objective reality as what it is, accepting it versus adding more meanings and interpretation of pessimists and optimists as a way to amplify what these objective reality is. So my, my point of sharing that is that Admiral accepted mm-hmm. his objective reality. He's prisoner of war. This is what he may have on a certain uh, exit date and also he had an empowering context he recontextualized yeah. what this event is for his personal narrative did yeah, I, yeah. Did I hear that correctly
1: yeah totally and and to add to that victor frankl in total agreement with this principle of you know life is suffering he, he said because all lives experience suffering if life is if life is to have meaning then suffering must also have meaning because whilst time wounds, time heals all wounds, it also wounds all heals. If you can wrap your head around that, yeah. No, yeah, for sure. So, in that context, if life is to have meaning, there must be meaning in the suffering. And so, coming out of that scenario, you know, what is the value of that journey? For a couple of things come to mind here. One, the relationship with my father is what it should be now. Mm -hmm. versus a pretense of what it might have been if I hadn't taken the right steps. So that's critical. The people that were victims of his inappropriate behavior have the chance to have justice and move forward with their own lives as well. So there's healing and opportunity for growth for them as well. But that's also fed, and me as a human being, as a principle of confronting the suffering, the pain, have learned immeasurable lessons that have informed my responsibilities as a father, have informed my role as a husband and have influenced me as a leader because as a business leader, as an entrepreneur, I am constantly confronted with the necessity to make tough decisions and to interpret reality versus bury my head in the sand. Because- so,
0: quick question. so quick question for you. I would imagine that your relationship with your father is a complex one because he has done a deed that's... Well, negative. Yeah, yeah. In, in, I don't know how to articulate it. In many ways,
1: terrific. Yeah. There you go.
0: Thank you. And at the same time, he's a father and you love him. Mm-hmm. How do you love the person, not the deed, and then still give forgiveness for each other? Because I would imagine that at some point he probably had resentment towards you for turning yeah. in. So, can you share with us a little bit about, and then I want to ask this question, not just for the sake of curiosity, but for the sake of inevitably in business, in relationships, things like this probably happen conf- co-founder conflicts, or divorces with kids. So these type of dynamic isn't unheard of. Maybe not exactly yours, but I, w- I would love to, for you to underline the how you navigate the
1: yeah, yeah. In, in other scenarios yeah
0: right. and yeah. at the same time forgiving the deed
1: yeah it's you've already led into the answer this principle of forgiveness applies whether he's engaged in that process or not because in order for me to have an appropriate healthy relationship with him and uh, healthy being under the context of yeah you know, the mitigating circumstances yeah now, first of all there is an element Another virtue that is intertwined with this principle of forgiveness, which is surrender. And the word surrender is not about giving up or giving in or quitting or anything like that. It to me is one of the most courageous, boldest of virtues that I talk about in the book. And yet, you know, the word sounds so much like giving up, yet, it's the boldest, most confrontational requirement of us in this process of moving forward because what surrender truly means is that we are willing to let go of the illusions that we hold on to be it about ourselves about our circumstances or about our future okay and and that would have been something that i'd have fed into my younger self is let go of the illusions and don't be scared about that the illusion being i don't want my dad to be this Mm. So I want to hold on to this illusion of maybe he's something else. Mm. Let go. Be okay. Yeah. Be okay with this. And how is this going to define me? You know, goodness. You know, look at the situation. That I'm in now. I'm on the other side of the world away from all my family with no money. I started university and they said, Oh, Ben, sorry. You're, you're a citizen of the country. You're not a resident, which means you're an overseas student which means you've got to pay overseas student fees. You're not entitled to government grants, loans, student loans, or anything like that. I'm like, I, I live on the other side of the world away from any support system. And now I can't go to university and further my education at that point. You know, I was like, ah, oh, everything was just blocking me off in every angle. So let go of the illusions that, you know, around the false beliefs that you have. That's got to be a step number one. If I want to forgive him, I've, I've got to let go of the illusions that I hold around him and embrace the reality of what is truth, what is correct, and also let go of the illusions about myself. How does this define me? It doesn't have to. Right? Let's, let's let go of that illusion for a second. What false beliefs do I have around this circumstance that I need to let go of? Because forgiveness involves that process as well. So if someone's going through a divorce... Or if there is employee co-founder co- conflict, for example, in a startup scenario, you know, let's look at the underlying beliefs that I have around this relationship. And what do I need to let go of? What's incorrect? You know, and, and that's an important one because a lot of the time it forces us to look inward at ourselves and causes us to make some changes before we ask someone else to make some changes. What I found in that journey with my dad, in order to get to a good place where I could have an appropriate relationship, I had to make a lot of changes, which was really, again, paradoxical. How come he's the one that commits the crime and goes to jail, but I'm the one that needs to start making some changes first, but that's what needed to happen. You start off with a false belief that he's the one that's done something wrong. So it's on him. Mm. No, it's not. He can if he chooses to, but irrespective of that, I have an obligation to forgive and let go. And so I needed to understand what are some underlying core beliefs that I have that are not correct mm. about who is responsible in this relationship. And I had responsibilities, too. So I needed to learn how to forgive. And that was a process. And, and, and it's a journey of going, OK, I give this over. And then I take it back again. I give it over and I take it back and you can forgive on Monday. And then on Wednesday, you realize you've got to do it all over again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and what I like about that process, which I didn't like at first, is the chronic nature of some struggles, you know, in the sense of them being ongoing is they teach a deeper and more profound lesson.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If it lasts for a week, we can learn the lesson and we can forget it next month.
0: Mm.
1: and so it can have an influence on us Mm. but it doesn't necessarily transform us but if something Mm. is enduring and it's chronic and it's painful and it requires me to forgive on monday and then again on tuesday and then again on wednesday
0: Mm.
1: yeah and i'm working through that and i'm having to now look introspectively at myself and change myself Mm. so that i can have the capacity and the strength to do that look at my underlying beliefs that are incorrect and dissect them, and pull them apart, and reframe my sense of identity, and who I am, and who I want to be, in order to get through all of this, as I'm going through all of that repeatedly, and repeatedly, Mm. because what's the alternative?
0: So, what you said here, so I want to underline a few things. Man, this is so beautiful. I really appreciate that. So, I love the way that you recontextualize the chronic pain, whether it's dealing with some kind of physical addictions or depression or, or dealing with a difficult, let's say a marriage relationship, whatever it may be, you recontextualize as a way, as a path to really anchor your own wisdom and conviction and the lesson that you learn versus just enduring through it. Mm, yes. I really love that re that reframe of what you just share so thank you so much i am i want to be super respectful of your time so i know that you might for go into some rapid fire questions and sure, do buy- yeah go for it. i i love to talk to you for hours this, this is my <laughs> in, you know, in case you haven't felt this is yeah it's good it's good talking about so some people may say i'm not those people but some people mm-hmm. may say hey C- bannon ck you guys seem to really dwell in the suffering part because you want the the wisdom, the lessons, but what about joy? What about oh, I love
1: that? I'm glad you glad raised that. lightness.
0: Yeah. What's your response to that?
1: Yeah, absolutely. The suffering is this, but we're here to experience joy as well, aren't we? Yeah. And and so a hundred percent the joy is to be found. Yeah, just like you said before, that there is purpose can be found in suffering, it can also be found in service. So I would say that there are two two methods. If you want to find purpose and fulfillment and joy and abundance in your life, yes, there is joy on the other side of suffering as a reassurance for those that are enduring it. Wisdom is a part of that, but so is joy. But at the same time, if you want to find purpose and greater meaning and greater sense of contribution, then service to others is a way forward as well, and that is a way that we can have an abundance of joy. And it goes back to the very beginning of our of our interview when we talked about having the multitude of responsibilities, yeah, you know, of being the entrepreneur, but being the, the spouse or partner, having the family, having children, and so on, is that we can embrace all of that and have an abundance of joy versus compartmentalize and pick and choose.
0: I love that. I can't remember who said this, um, paraphrasing this. The meaning of life is, is is finding what you stand for and the purpose of it is to, is to give it away and then share it with other Yeah,
1: you. absolutely.
0: What would you say about, because what you're doing right now, in my mind, is very courageous. It's very uncommon. Sharing very openly about family history, your inner struggle with uh, bipolar. These are... Mm. things that normal people wouldn't share. In my mind, it takes courage, tremendous courage to be a noble warrior and share the inner grappling. I love that. I want to be more open and about sharing who I am such that I can inspire others with, with more hope and optimism. So can you share with us a little bit about your path to have that courage and be more open as a human being?
1: Yeah. It Again, it's really wonderfully mundane <laughs> because it's all about practice, trial and error, making mistakes and having a willingness to pick myself up every time I hit the floor. And if you hit the floor 100 times, that's OK as long as you get up 101. Yeah. yeah. And it's really been that and, and learning to embrace the vulnerability. <laughs> like I said before. There are aspects when I had, when I got diagnosed with bipolar disorder, uh, I was actually thrilled when I got the diagnosis, which sounds weird. It,
0: right? it, it does. Please elaborate.
1: Yeah. yeah. Because, <laughs> wait a second. You just got diagnosed with a mental illness and you're excited about it? How does that work? Uh, because it was causing chaos in my life. And I I, I didn't know what was going on. I, I had an inkling and a feeling, but it, it took a while to get the diagnosis. But when that happened, the relief. Now I know what's happening. Now I know how to address it. What I learned since was just because you got the diagnosis doesn't mean you know how to address it. It's been a, it's an ongoing process of discovery and sometimes learning the hard way, frustratingly. So that's been a, a journey. But again, it's been this kind of give and take with this of, I accept it. No, I don't. Maybe the diagnosis is incorrect. Maybe it's something else. And I would want to reframe it and reposition it and question it and doubt it and all that kind of stuff. And then I'd have experiences that would bring me right back and go, "Ah, uh, yeah, this is what you're dealing with." But to get to the point where I was willing to open up in a book, yeah, you because know, once it's in print, it doesn't come back, or to talk about it in a conversation like this, that was a big step for me because being the president of a big organization, I've got big networks of people where I've always been field facing, especially as a public speaker. You've got audiences in front of you. To talk about something like mental health and be that candid, Yeah, it, it, it was a big step. But the starting point for me was a surprise. I was at an event, just really quickly. I was at an event as a keynote speaker in the South of England. And I was asked to give two presentations. One was you know the journey to success. It was for a group of entrepreneurs. Uh, what does success look like as an entrepreneur? And the other question was, what are some of the obstacles and how do we overcome it? Yeah, how do we deal with the tough stuff? And when I got to day two dealing with the tough stuff, I thought, I'm going to talk about my disorder here and share that. And worst case scenario, I don't think I'm going to see this group again. So this, I was, this was a case study, a practice for me to see what would happen. And I explained to them that I've got an advantage over you in dealing with adversity and the tough stuff in business. And, and I said, I'm going to tell you what that is. I have somewhat of a superpower and that superpower is I have bipolar disorder. And, and the people that knew me looked shocked, wait a minute, what? I did not know that about you. And then I started to explain the lessons that i would gleaned from the disorder and how it had informed me as a business leader and helped me as an entrepreneur. And how it had been a blessing in my life and had brought about some great lessons and instruction that I wouldn't trade for anything. And afterwards, people had tears in their eyes. They were moved. Tons of people connected with me online. And it had been a transformative experience for them. And I learned that there was benefit in my struggles for other people. And as a consequence of that, going to your question of joy. Ironically or paradoxically, the the struggle that I went through, I learned was not about me. And as I can get out and be comfortable enough to talk about it with others, then I can bring joy to others. Mm -hmm. I can bring hope to others. And Mm -hmm. if they're struggling, they can go, Okay, if Ben can do it. If he can have bipolar disorder, have his father go to prison, you know, find himself on the other side of the world from his network of support with 50 pounds in his pocket and not be able to further his education or do anything, and yet become a self-made entrepreneur by the age of 40 and mm. have a 20 year marriage with seven children and one on the way. If he can do all of that, then maybe I can do this. Mm. Yeah. and uh, And if I can bring a little bit of hope and a little bit of encouragement to someone else for that reason that makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? And and there is the joy, there is the happiness that comes. Mm. And it's a great feeling. Mm. It's an awesome feeling that can come from that. Mm.
0: Last question, actually second to the last question, what, Mm. what is a, a ritual that you do regularly as a way to not only have the understanding, but also now a tactical to operationalize the wisdom that you share? Do you journal? Do you meditate? Do you What is the process that you do regularly as a way to sort out this cognitive understanding of my identity, my Mm. uh, chaos, and all
1: these things? How do you sort it out? I I can show you. I've got, I'm a religious person. Mm -hmm. So so my ritual or routine is I get up in the morning before everyone else is awake. Mm -hmm. I've got my scriptures that i read Mm -hmm. i've got my journal that i write in Mm -hmm. and i've got my knees that i sit on and i get on my knees and i pray got it and i i I meditate and i study and i journal and i'll do that i don't necessarily journal every day but i do that on a regular basis but i will study and pray and meditate every morning and that helps me to master the day Mm. and uh, if i can master the morning it gives me a, a stronger start for the rest of the day, gives me the right mindset to move forward. And so meditation, stillness, prayer, and uplifting study helps it, the process.
0: Do you do it concurrently, as in you have these: the book, the meditation mat, the, the journal, all at the same time, or do we do it sequentially?
1: It's a bit of both. Yeah, I, I start my study with prayer just to get my mind in that process. But then as I'm studying, so I'll be on my knees for that. But then I will be, as I'm studying, I will be prayerful. And then I will write sometimes what I'm learning in the process or sit down and write afterwards and then be a bit more mindful again at the end. So there's some intertwining of those activities um, Mm. as I go.
0: Thank you so much. Ben, I want to take a moment to acknowledge you for sharing so generously, courageously about your personal story your personal, and also your hero's journey.
1: Mm, Thank you.
0: And then what you got, uh, lessons, distinctions, gems, such that the younger version of Ben and CK can benefit from everything that you share. Thank you so much for just, you know, doing that for for, My pleasure. for all of us. Thank you. My pleasure. So guys, go out and get the Empowerment Paradox, Seven Vital Virtues to Turn Struggles into Strength. Uh, as you can hear, Ben is the real deal. He not only, so I want to actually give a little plug to your book. He not only can tell a powerful story, but if you actually read into the text that he wrote, precise, powerful, with high... Ro- vibration go out and get the book thank you so much for being here ben thank you my
1: pleasure
0: thank you